We're talking with Denny Potvin here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach. One of the things you're noted for as a man athlete is your leadership. And it's, it's, you're, you're, you've won four Stanley Cups in a row. Hasn't been done since you did it. Right. And you were the captain of the team. Um, what does that mean to you? that you, you were able to win four Stanley Cups in a row. I mean, you look, at, you look through NHL history, there's very few teams that ever can win maybe three, maybe four. And now you guys are, you know, as time marches on, people look back at those moments and say, my God, four Stanley Cups. You know, it's, you know, and there were 16 yeah. guys who were, were together. I mean, what does it mean to you, though, yeah. personally, that won those four Cups? Um, it is what I'm most proud of, most proud of. Um, I won the Norris, uh, you know, uh, was inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, all of the things that you hope to get individually as you go along. But there was never anything better than winning a championship with the team. That that was number one in my career. Um there's no question that when I'm asked often about <clears throat> what are you most proud of and you most look back on with great memories is the fact that I only played with one organization. That was important for me. Uh, and of course, at that time, there was no free agency and you know not much trading going on and whatnot. So it was easier to keep the team together. And as you said, we had 16 players that were on all four Stanley Cups. I mean, which is amazing. <clears throat> we won four Stanley Cups, but I cannot forget that I'm the only captain in NHL history to have captained his team to five consecutive Stanley Cup finals. When we lost, you know, the, the drive for five, yep. it was in the Stanley Cup finals. <clears throat> so we had it, you know, for as long as we could possibly keep it. I mean, we were... No question, we were beaten up. And, you know, I think Gretzky uh, in his book mentioned the fact that when they went by our dressing room after we beat them uh, in 83 for the Stanley Cup, you know, they were all spiffed up, ready to go on their bus, and we were still hanging there, still with our equipment on, just, you know, really beat up. I mean, 160 playoff games or over a period of, you know, five or six years uh, uh, will do that. So... Uh, when I see myself as captain and the leadership role, I think it's very important to understand uh, for everybody to understand that I don't know of any leader will ever admit that he was, you know, like they perceived Bobby Clark or something like that. I think you've got, we had about six or seven guys. I mean, listen, you got Mike Trache, Mike Bossy, Billy Smith, you know, we had guys like Bobby Nystrom, you know, Kenny Morrow, uh, became leaders. Think about the overtime goals those guys scored. You know, JT, you know, our Tasmanian devil, Johnny Tanelli. We had so many guys that took leadership as part of what they had to bring on the ice every shift. My feeling was I wasn't going to be the Newt Rockney and give a big speech before I began. Al Arbor took care of that. He took care of <clears throat> preparing us for the games. What I had to take care of is my first several shifts on the ice. I wanted to have my very best expression the first few shifts in the game. That could mean getting a good hip check on somebody, uh, 
just playing a good hardship. That's leadership, is when you're asked to kill a penalty, go on a power play, play five on five. And, you know, as I did, I just cherished every moment I was on ice. But that's where the leadership, in my view, was from when I looked in the mirror, you know, what are you going to do? I just have to play my best in, in a team game. Now, Clark Gillies was the captain before you. And yeah. um, they made a switch. And they, made, they gave you the captaincy, took the from away from Clark. Clark was a very important part of the Islanders dynasty. He was a leader, as you just had said. How was that handled? And were there any issues internally with the team when that happened? When they took that away from him, was there animosity? Or is it just basically, look, we're making this switch. You're going to have to deal with this. No, 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 no. Forget that. Uh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Okay, no, forget that. What happened was the team did not take it away from Clarkie. Uh, Clarky, I think if you look at his stats, I think in 1978, he was on the first all-star team. I think he scored 38 goals. We okay. had a vote in the dressing room to pick, you know, a new captain. And this is after Eddie Westfall had uh, retired. So the votes came in and there's Clarky. Clarky was now, you know, had been voted in as a new captain. So, Clarky is a very popular guy. Everybody loved him, and, and everybody who's ever met him, you know, a, a terrific guy. And, of course, the role he played, I mean, the power forward. My God, he played with Blasi Ache, could kick, <laughs> could kick ass with anybody in the league. I mean, it was, wow, you know. Yeah. Clarky, in my view, was always our captain. What happened at the end of 1979 when we had a great season during the year and then we got beat in the playoffs by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the year after that, we got beat by, you know, the New York Rangers. It was a real stress on Clarkey. He, nobody else, called a meeting at the end of the season. He called a meeting. And at that meeting, he told us that he, he, he no longer wanted the pressure of being a captain. Fair. Uh, it was very fair. We knew Clarkie really well. We played with him now for five or six years. And it was not till next training camp that I was called in by Bill Torrey and Al Arbor. And now, remember now, my hero, Jean Beliveau. Yep. Okay. So I walk in. I think I'm having a meeting with Bill Torrey. And it turns out that Al Arbor is there. You know, I'm going, oof, this is pretty serious. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, where, where am I going? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I looked at both of them. They, 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 you know, we just kind of looked. It was, all I'm trying to say is it was a room that just went deadly quiet. And Bill Torrey looked up at me and he said, do you want to be captain? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> all I could think of was Jean Beliveau. Yes. And, of course, my, my, my memories of Jean Beliveau were holding the Stanley Cup. Not that I had visions that the next year when I became captain for the full season, we go go on, go on to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. But I wanted that challenge. I wanted it in a big way. I would have continued with Clarkie as captain. As I said, in my view, Clarkie was always captain. He was the guy that we all would go to at times. He wanted, he was a guy that relaxed the dressing room. He was funny. 
He liked to have fun with everybody. He competed hard and practiced just like he did in the games. He, his leadership never left us. But there was also Trotch. I mean, nobody wanted to score more than Mike Bossy. You should have seen that sucker in practice. I mean, it was, you know, unbelievable. And then everybody played that hard game in practice. So the leadership came that way. But it's very important to understand that it was Clark Gillies who made the decision. And then he called a team meeting. And that's how it went. That's how it got changed. And, and I, of course, yeah, as I said, I, I would have been comfortable keeping things as they were. But when the opportunity came and I was asked, I jumped at it. How hard is it to be a captain at the professional level? You have the egos, you have players, you have coaches, you have media, you have all that stuff. Yeah. And that C on your chest, right yeah. over your heart in a lot of places. How yeah. hard is that to, to, to deal with on a daily basis when you're that guy? Bill Torrey, after I became captain, uh, came over to me and handed me a book. And on the cover was Bobby Clark. <laughs> All it said is the captains. He said, read this. I said, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already quite a voracious reader. So I, uh, I ended up reading about it. And uh, it was the same thing, same thing yourself somebody recognized and not you that you had the leadership qualities and people would follow you and it was Jean Beliveau it was uh, you know I think Jean Rattel I mean it was you know on and Phil Esposito on and on and on of guys that had been captains of their teams and of course Stanley Cup winners at some point uh, you know again the Montreal Canadiens um, so that's really that's really how it started for me. And I cannot say that I felt it was hard. I just knew what I had to do. And as I said earlier, uh, my interpretation of leadership was if I can, I'll be the best player on the ice every night. Uh, so you think that's what makes a good leader? That, that at least was a goal. What? That, that what were you just talking about there, you know, being on the ice, you know, you're setting the example, setting the tone. Yeah. You know what makes a good leader? By showing example, not like pointing things out to people, more like here's how Dennis carries himself in the dressing room. Here's how Clark Gillies carries himself. Other guys see how you, you, you react to different situations. Is that more important, you think, than just, you know, standing up and saying something in a dressing room? Oh, listen. <laughs> I don't know if you're a Tom Petty fan, but, you know, I was and still listen to his music. And when that song, you know, I won't back down yep. comes on, <clears throat> I, I keep thinking, you know, that is the motto for anybody who wants to be a leader or is put in that position. And, you know, every player on the bench is watching, maybe the captain board and other people, how you respond, you know, if we're, you know, if we're down, you know, if we're down by a goal, you know, can I adjust my game to maybe bring more offense uh, when a power play comes on and I'm going to be on the power play? Uh, not that they're looking at me alone, but in my view, when I'm looking at, you know, jumping over the boards and going and take that face off, I want to make a difference. And if we need a goal, if we need to, you know, extend the lead, whatever it is, I want to be part of that. So, I think that's what a leader is. And, and that's what I got from the book was that 
every every captain felt that leadership was viewed by your teammates while you were leading, not while you were talking. Yeah. When you so were winning those cups. That's the way I look at it. When you uh, were winning those cups, how did your leadership evolve yeah. from the first cup to the fourth cup? Was there an, was there an evolutionary process with you? you know, <coughs> yes, there was. You're just like, you're, you're on top of the world every year. It's like, but I mean, was there things you, you had to change as a person when you were do, dealing with the players? Yes, yeah. If you look at my stats, I never scored 100 points again. Um, after 1979-80, during the season, I was up there. I was getting 70, 80, whatever it was. But it was not anywhere near as important anymore than winning. And so if, I, if, if our team was you know, uh, winning 3-1, to one, I wasn't trying to get that fourth goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more interested in the team winning the game. And I think that's really the thing that, that the, 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 the signal that resonated with me when I became captain. Uh, it really made it very important and obvious that, that now I have to look at team first. And I think that game got adjusted. You know, my plus, mining, uh, plus minus ratio. Uh, on time, uh, minutes, uh, on the ice, all of those things may have increased, but I wasn't, my point total didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, Because again, I would rather be part of protecting a lead than chasing after an extra goal. How'd you guys stay focused for those five years? I mean, you know, it's it's tough to it's tough to win. I'm serious. I mean, yeah. you look you look at a championship team. They win one year, and then the next year it falls apart halfway through the season, or things <laughs> get in the way. But you guys just seem to be like a machine. Like it was like, all right, we have one, we want two, we want three. I mean, how did you, what was what was the the focus that went into the, the to that team? You know, in sixteen, it was also there were sixteen guys there. Everybody knew their role. Everyone's role was yeah. defined. But how did you guys stay focused? You know, it was it was amazing to watch from the outside. Well, a couple of things. Uh, every one of those seasons when we won the cup, and then uh, the last one when we went to the finals, uh, we're not, we were not leading the league in points. But one thing we knew, and Bill Torrey probably said it best in a famous uh, answer he gave uh, sports reporters that, that I read later on. He said. You build a certain type of team for the season. And then you have to have a different type of team for the playoffs. Now, every year, Bill made a trade. You know, he would go get Bob Lorber. He got, uh, you know, Kenny Morrow came on. Of course, the great trade for Butchie Goring. But Dave Langevin came along. And, you know, there were always one or two changes. Uh, You look at Mike McEwen who I think was only a member of our team for one year, but may have scored one of the biggest goals in Islander history uh, in our comeback against Pittsburgh. I think that was 81. Uh, JT ended up scoring a tying and overtime goal. Otherwise, that, was, that would have been the end of the era for the Islanders. But <clears throat> I think overall, we were so focused on being the best team in the world come March 1st, 
uh, Bill Torrey would come in. He would give his only talk of the year. We would have made a trade by then. And he would just tell us how he now feels that he's got the best team in hockey and wished us well. So when we went into the march of every one of those years, uh, it's hard to look at those stats, but we were probably as good as anybody in the NHL. So when we got into the playoffs, we were a machine. We were toned and we knew it. Plus we're confident because we were already winners and we've been challenged in every way by speed, by physical play, by, you know, uh, opposing teams, high scoring, whatever it was, we always were able to figure out a way to get by. So, you know, it's building up confidence. It's hard to be confident for seven months. There's going to be ups and downs. The guy was going through something on the team. Did you pull him aside and talk to him? Someone was struggling. Someone was struggling. You, just, you say, yeah. hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You know, kind of give him some confidence, maybe say something to him to kind of boost him a little bit to, you know, kind of make him feel better. <laughs> yes. And yes. No. <laughs> and no. yeah. Does he have to kind of pick your spot, like know who you can say something to or just leave him alone kind of a thing? You know, is that? No, kind no, of- there, there's, a, there's a lot of communication. I mean, uh, Brian Trache sat next to me for 15 years. Um, you know, uh, Bobby Warren, Clarky, Bobby and I were all sitting together and we'd always be together, go out for a beer or something. And, you know, uh, when we're on the road, we didn't have the charter flight. So everything was commercial. So that meant that after a hockey game in Boston, you know, we'd go and, you know, have a beer together. And, and that's where we would often have these, you know, talks. But <clears throat> maybe more importantly, was Al Arbery was very sensitive to the mood of the dressing room. And I remember one time we got into Minnesota and uh, we, uh, we had a couple of nights. It was like Monday night and the game wasn't going to be until Wednesday. And uh, he came up to me and handed me some uh, cash. And he said, why don't you take the boys out? I said, I'm sure. So we went out to this, this, this bar, you know, and uh, I'll always remember uh, it was a bar that had, uh, you might remember this, you're old enough, you don't have the peanuts on the floor. Like yes. peanuts for the shelf. Ground round. Ground round. Yeah, something like that. There you go. So, in any event, uh, so we went and, uh, and I, I just made a, basically an announcement and said, guys, look, you know, Al's giving me a little bit of money. Everybody's got to be there. Like, no family, no anything else, right? So, those were things that would happen several times during the year. And Al had a very good sense that things were going on. Individually, uh, there's no question that my defense partners and Billy Smith, we talk a lot. Uh, in particular, I wasn't going to be telling Brian Trache how to win a face, but I was going to tell Ken Morrow what we should expect of each other, you know, and Smitty. Like, simple thing like Smitty in practice. I say, Smitty, look, you make the save. Your pads are very soft. You don't give big rebounds, but don't shoot the puck in the corner. I mean, they'll, they'll freaking kill me there. Just move the puck behind the net. You know, he said, all right, I'll do that for you. He would do make the save, boom, move the puck. I got to the puck. Uh, now I've already got the net protecting me, you know. Yep. So little things like that happened a lot. Yes, they did. And individual talks happened a lot. Trotch and I sometimes didn't even have to say a word. It was just a look like, what are we doing? We got to change this. You know, we're, we're down two goals. We're having a third period. <laughs> You know, I try to just go, yes, dad. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, Dad. <laughs> I'm Chris Riley, and you're listening to Flex Coaches Inside the Game. We're talking with Hall of Famer Dennis Poffin. Tune in for all the great episodes here with Dennis.